This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, heritage is vital to understanding our culture and telling our stories. When you've been adopted, there's that extra layer of identity and of loss. But for adoptees, finding your roots can bring up some tough questions. I'm Micah Smith. And I'm Nathan Haffel, and it's a story I know firsthand. Today, we have a real talk about adoptions, what the process looks like in our state, and the different challenges families face. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll be having a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. And this week, we have a real talk about adoptions. We'll cover everything from the process, the importance of keeping your heritage alive, and the different challenges between international and domestic adoptions. We begin with the piece exploring what it means to be adopted. And that means a lot to me. As a child adopted in the late 70s, my parents' goal was to assimilate me into their culture, their German-American culture, the standard practice at the time. I was raised with little knowledge of my Latino heritage and was constantly told, you're a heffel, fully one of us, with little mention of the heritage and the culture I came from. Well, things have changed a lot in the decades since, and children adopted today are much more likely to explore their heritage, including what it means to be adopted. One of the ways adoptees are doing that is through what's called heritage camps for adoptive families. Every year, the Colorado nonprofit puts on nine camps for adoptees and their families. And I recently attended the domestic adoption heritage camp in Estes Park. You might remember being a kid and going to camp every summer. The anticipation, the excitement of heading into nature for fishing, camping, crafts. Similar things happen at the domestic adoption camp, but for these kids, it's all about celebrating what it means to be adopted. Melissa Mansica, her husband Aaron, and 10-year-old adopted son Max have been to this camp before. We were super excited to take advantage of it because we thought how great it would be for Max, who was only six at the time, to just be around so many other kids who have a similar experience, but we found out it is just as valuable, important, meaningful, relevant for us as parents. And I didn't even know what I didn't know. And then when I come to domestic adoption camp and there's these experts and these practitioners and I'm suddenly getting a glimpse and some insights, some strategies, some ideas, but I'm also connecting with other parents. And domestic adoption camp, one thing I love about it that I've been surprised by is how diverse it is. But it's not just domestic adoption camp. Many others are focused on different cultures. Pam Sweetser is the executive director of Heritage Camps. And our first camps were heritage camps, cultural camps, yeah. hence the name, because it was all about kids who were born internationally, helping them retain their culture and their identity. But adoption changes and more and more families started asking me who had adopted domestically, well, can't we have a time? Because they would hear from their friends or maybe they'd have a, their older kid would be from China or something. And they say, we want the same experience for our younger kid who was adopted in Texas or whatever. So the only component that's really not here is that cultural piece. And, then, and we do some of that, you know, because it's the most diverse camp we have. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as race and culture and all that. And that's what I found so fascinating, you know, uh, being adopted myself, yeah. having an adopted daughter. We are a transracial family. My husband is yes. white. I am Latino. My, my daughter is African-American slash right. Hispanic, Latino. The fact that there is this rainbow of people here. It's amazing. And we don't have to explain ourselves. No, that's the one thing people say. I mean, I'm an adoptive parent. My kids are born in Korea, born in India. They're mm -hmm. adults. And they were five and two when we started the camps. And now they're 30, 
something. 34, 37, 34 and 37. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was that exact thing. And even for them, they didn't ever have to say, where did you come from? Is that your real mom? You know, do you speak Korean? Yeah. Do you speak Chinese, even though you're Korean? I mean, all of those questions and things they dealt with growing up. Never have to deal with yeah. it here. And it is a vacation because, again, I'm with my family. <laughs> so, it yeah. is, it right? Is, yeah. But then also, like you were saying, there are there are panels. There There's are, work there to be are done. work to be done where parents can go and, and learn about some of the issues that their kids may have. Absolutely. Or that they're having themselves. Absolutely. And with that said, how do you assemble a group of people to, to explain to adoptive parents kind of... Oh, you mean the presenters? Yeah. Um, well, they tend to come to us, you know, like they've heard of us or they've been in another camp. And then, you know, we say, hey, what your message is, like Chaitra, who was here this morning, she's actually an Indian adoptee herself. And that was her original camp. And she's a therapist. So what she had to say to the families with the Indian children, pretty much the same. I've always said adoption's adoption. It doesn't matter where you were adopted. My sister is adopted, my sister-in-law is adopted, and my mother-in-law is adopted, so it sort of runs in our family. But um, some of the adoption issues, for lack of a better word, are universal. Most of them are universal. But for 10-year-old Max, the heavy conversations can begin later. Right now, being with kids just like him and really living life means a whole heck of a lot. We try to just do stuff that just keeps us not bored. <laughs> Just now we played mini golf or we just made Lego sets. And like, they're really smart about like keeping the kids happy. Max says he really enjoys being able to spend time with the other kids who are in the same situation as he is. And he also says that he made at least one friend who he's gonna hang out with uh, after this. And, and after the interview, he was getting ready to play with some puppies and watch movies. Micah, this camp is truly changing people's lives just being with other families, there was this connection that you have that you feel safe and that you feel able to talk about your life story. I think that that's beautiful and I love that it also focuses on the kids because I feel like when you're growing up, you always feel that sense of other, no matter what family structure you come from. And I know that there are special challenges that come with being adopted. So I love that this is a safe space for so many families. If you're interested in attending a Heritage Camp for adopted families, check out heritagecamps.org. Adoptions are not a one-size-fits-all situation, and there are many options out there for your family. We share two different stories with you after the break, showcasing what international adoptions can look like for you. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm CPR's Nathan Haffel. This week, we're having a Real Talk about adoptions. Later in the show, we'll talk more about domestic adoptions. But for now, we want to shift the focus to international adoption. According to the federal government, intercountry adoptions have dramatically fallen over the past two decades. In 2004, there were more than 20,000 intercountry adoptions. In 2021, there were less than 2,000. And right now we're going to focus on two different stories that shaped firsthand experiences with inter-country adoptions. First, I spoke with Chandi Aldina Somerville, an international adoptee who grew up in Denver. Chandi, first tell us briefly about your adoption story. Well, my adoption story starts in India, where I was born in Chennai. And then I arrived in Denver to my family in uh, when I was six and a half months old. So I was a baby. I don't remember uh, India, but um, that is where my story starts. And then I grew up here in Denver. 
and we spoke with uh, one of your moms, Sylvia Aldina, and we asked her why she decided to do an international adoption. I uh, wanted to be a mom, and uh, I had met a couple in Washington who had adopted from India, and their little daughter was adorable <laughs> and sweet and beautiful, and I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just see how that goes. And so I went and did the interview and went to the adoption, and it all worked out beautifully, and so it was wonderful. I love your smile there. I, I see it. Uh, you know, when do you remember saying, ah, I, I'm adopted, something's a little bit, little bit different? Do you remember when that happened? I don't know if I have an exact precise memory, but my parents were always celebrating the fact that I was adopted and from India. And so my earliest childhood memories include celebrating what we call my homecoming. So every year on the day that I arrived to join their family, we celebrate. And I remember being you know, three years old in our backyard, my mom had made a cake and all the neighbor kids were invited over. And it was just a party. It was, we joke that it's basically a second birthday. Oh, um, two birthdays, two gifts type <laughs> right? of thing. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and still to this day, I'm 36 and we still every year uh, on my homecoming um, come together and have share a meal and, and share memories. I, I find that fascinating since I did not have that experience when I was growing up. I was adopted and I was fully assimilated into my white culture, mm-hmm. right? I was given an American last name, Nathan Heffel. That wasn't my birth name, right? And we didn't have that, that homecoming. It was just like, you're a Heffel. You're going to be a Heffel for the rest of your life. And this is what that means. And I find it so interesting that you had that opportunity to say, hey, I am from India and I am adopted. How has that shaped you having that connection that some adoptees from our generation haven't had? Yeah, I'm really thankful that my parents were intentional and um, really thoughtful about incorporating my culture and heritage at any chance they got. So I remember we'd go across town to an Indian restaurant. uh, And I think that same restaurant had a little shop and I got my first Indian outfit. And then, you know, being able to connect to any time there were Indian people in school or socially connecting with them and um, making that introduction so that I felt like I was a part of the community, that it wasn't just me in my white family making sure I felt included in my family, but also that it was celebrated that I was Indian and brought that diversity. I want to hear from your mom again. Uh, And she shared more on why uh, your parents made such an effort to connect you to your Indian heritage. Well, Shandi is Indian and she looks Indian. And plus, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's such a blessing to have another country and their ideas, their culture and You know, it's just a great thing to do. It's fun, and it really benefited her as well, but it benefited us. Without that experience, my life would be less. So um, my benefit and my whole family's benefit was a thousand times greater. She blessed us more than we could ever bless her. What do you think of that? Uh, It's just, I'm blushing because I'm just so touched to hear her say it. I know that she feels that. I mean, I've always heard how important it is to my parents, to my moms, that they 
are connected to my Indian culture. And I think that also made such a big difference because, like she said, it was important, right? It was something we did as a family. And I think that also made a difference, like, again, with that feeling like it was a family thing to learn about my culture and to connect and go uh, to Indian restaurants. And now as I'm older, um, we've taken on trying to cook Indian food together, which is a whole nother thing. Um, but we love it. And you've been to India a few times with your family, right? Right. I've been three times now. And each time with my moms, the first time both of them, second time just with Solvia, and then um, the third time was all three of us again. And sticking with the international adoptions, are there challenges that maybe uh, you've seen or, or people you know that have also been adopted internationally have seen in, in their lives? One of the challenges is being able to stay connected and feel that connection with your birth country and your birth culture. I can speak for myself when I say that it's great to be able to have those connections here in Colorado and have Indian community that I feel a part of, but there's still a feeling of not quite fitting in. And I think that I felt more than any time in my life, actually when I went to India. Mm. So going to India. How so? Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so feeling like, oh, I'm going to go to India for the first time, and all of a sudden I will look like everyone around me. My parents are going to be the ones that stick out, right? And that was true. But at the same time, I almost immediately realized how American I am, how different the cultures are, and that as much as I look Indian and I'd have people come up to me and speaking in Hindi or uh, Tamil and I don't know that language. And so it was very kind of upfront and center about how American I am. And I think that's a struggle that many international adoptees share is kind of being in this third culture. And I think other people talk about that is that reality of not quite fitting in with the birth culture and not quite fitting in with the culture we're raised with. And I think that's a, an ongoing challenge and something that I, I think about and um, try and figure out ways that I can find deeper connections with both of my cultures. And I think that's a lot of adoptees are feeling that right now at the camp. Um, some older adoptees said the same thing. I don't quite feel this way, but I don't quite feel that way. But people view me this way and I feel that same way. I have that definite mm -hmm. feeling of well, you don't look like Nathan Heffel. What does Nathan Heffel look like? Right. And having that conversation with people saying, well, I was adopted and, you know, yada, 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 ad nauseum. But I think there is this embracing of this third way. I've heard you're not the first person to say that uh, that is an adoptee, that there is a third way to embrace that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not this, but I'm not that. But I'm definitely me. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I think that coming to the realization as a young adult that it's uncomfortable, but it's OK, because, you know, having other people who are adopted around me and, you know, I'm thankful that I grew up with a lot of friends who were adopted, um, specifically from India. And so having that connection, it's I think it would be so much harder to navigate that third culture um, without having other connections to people. That was Chandi Aldina Somerville of Aurora. You know, we love to hear these success stories of international adoptions, but some are more complicated than others. Yeah, I spoke with Mary Bowers, a Colorado woman whose recent discovery about her adoption from South Korea encouraged her to raise awareness about human rights abuses. 
I want to talk to you about your beginnings, which your story really starts in Korea. So let's start there. Walk me through your life story. Okay, well, I think my life story has turned out to be a little different than the one that I grew up with. Growing up, the story that I was always given was uh, that I was adopted from Korea at the age of five months old and uh, went to live with a family in Colorado. I grew up in Greeley. Always thought things were relatively normal, um, was one of the very few Asian Americans in that community. Uh, but aside from that, I, I thought that everything was generally pretty cool. But in 2020, I returned back to Korea uh, just to kind of get more in touch with my own beginnings. And I unfortunately uncovered a bunch of information, a bunch of documents relating to my origins that were rather surprising. It turns out that I was not the uh, documented orphan that my parents uh, knew me to be. Um, I found the names of two very alive people, and I don't know if they are actually my parents or not, because it appears that I have multiple legal registered identities. Uh, so all indications point to some kind of identity laundering in the adoption process. Wow. So you thought that as a baby, you went through this legal process and then you find out that you actually didn't. What were you told about your birth parents? So I was told a few different stories. And I think in hindsight, that should have been a red flag, ranging from my biological mother was a single mother um, who didn't have the means to raise me or care for me. I also had stories about abandonment by my birth father, which turned out not to be true. He's not actually traceable in the records, so therefore could not have given legal consent for an adoption. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, some of the more uh, insidious stories, I heard that she was a prostitute. I heard that both of my parents were dead. So all of these things cannot simultaneously be true. And so that's why I delved into the actual documents a bit further. After having gone through all of this, I know that awareness is a big part of your journey. Talk to me about what you want people to be aware of and kind of how you're using your story to get other stories out there. Well, uh, the story is still unfolding, so I'm, I'm downloading and processing a lot. But I think the thing that people should be very aware of is that every adoption, um, whether legal or illegal, doesn't start with a family being built. It starts somewhere else. Mm. So it's important to understand where that somewhere else is, where those origins are and what that original family story is. And that, that applies to every adoption, whether it follows the rules or in my case, uh, looks like it, it did not. Uh, but I think it's important for, for every family, every, every person who knows an adopted person to understand that piece. That was Mary Bowers of Colorado. And again, her story is far from over. Mary is part of an active investigation in South Korea with a half dozen other countries around the world looking into these claims. You've heard the stories of people directly involved with adoptions, and coming up, we want to share the perspective of the people who help connect them with their new families. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News.
This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm CPR's Nathan Affle. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. This week, we're having a Real Talk on adoption. So far, we've heard personal adoption stories. And we now want to add some context for those who work with those families on a daily basis. We spoke with Christy Eichler and Brenda Retrum from Adoption Choices of Colorado, which is a private nonprofit adoption agency in our state. Christy is the executive director and Brenda works with prospective parents. Thank you both for weighing in on this important topic. Happy to be here. So, Brenda, take us through the process and what it looks like for people who want to adopt through an agency. Mm -hmm. Most of our families have experienced infertility. Not all, but most of them. And so they've already been through a lot of loss of money and time and all that. So they're ready to be parents yesterday. So it starts with an application process, goes to a home study, a home study where you actually go into the home and say, hey, are these going to be okay parents? Yes, that interviews kind of what is? Yeah. and paperwork yeah. and training. Yeah, Absolutely. and it's a, it's a long process. This isn't it's just about a, a three-month two- process. Yeah. yeah, We know adopting is not a one-size-fits-all process, though. Right. Each state has their own laws. For example, Colorado is an agency state. Christy, can you explain what exactly that means? Sure. So as you mentioned, every state is different, and Colorado happens to be an agency state, which means that all adoptions have to go through an agency. So in some states it can go through an attorney, but in Colorado it cannot. So you do need an agency if you reside in Colorado and if the birth is going to happen in Colorado. So that means that you're not doing this by yourself. You have Correct. to go through yes. a, an organization yes. like yours. Yes. So your agency works with people from all different backgrounds, all different types. Why is it so important to be inclusive in the adoption process? So many of our birth mothers are open to all kinds of different families mm-hmm. and family diversity. Now that changed quite a bit over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to offer pregnant women a choice about who's going to parent their baby, whether it's a certain race or a same-sex couple or any LGBTQ, mm-hmm. single parents. We want to give them options. And I think that's something that we may mm-hmm. forget about. There is, there is a mom as well right. at, who's saying, you know what, I, I think I need to put this child up for adoption. How is that process with the organization and dealing sure. with the birth mom? Sure. So they are unsung hero. They definitely, like you said, do get missed out on a lot and get misrepresented. They're amazing people that have decided for whatever reason, and they each have their own reasons, but um, want to do this selfless, um, unconditional love and want to choose a family and want to be a part of the adoption process and maybe want to be part of their lives um, down the road. And so we encourage that. But how to start that would be we would start working and doing relinquishment counseling and just working alongside them to make sure that this is actually what they want to do before they terminate their rights voluntarily because everything that they do is voluntarily and so it does become a hundred percent legal after many steps are done so just you know actually working with them talking with them building a rapport building a relationship providing support, um, providing guidance to them. And also we try really hard to provide that to our adoptive families because it's, you know, both of them are on different sides of the track. And so like, you know, it's more of an educational piece of learning each other's stories and the kind of following each other's understanding, I guess, basically, of where they're coming from. We only have a few seconds left, but what kind of need is there for adoptive parents? Um, There are a lot of adoptive parents out there. For instance, there's about 12 families for every baby that's available. 
that I would like to have that child. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so it's not the same playing field, if you put it that way, as it was in, the, in other generations. So a lot of things have changed in our society hmm. that have made this a different experience yeah. now. Christy Eichler and Brenda Retram are with Adoption Choices of Colorado. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.